So we're in the book of James. Uh, again, he is the brother, physical brother of Jesus Christ. The difference being that the Holy Spirit was the paternal parent, the father of Jesus. Joseph was the paternal parent of James. So they're really half-brothers, but for all practical purposes, brothers. So we're going to kick it off with a short recap, uh, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's what we we got to the mature and complete part last Wednesday night. And we're going to go into this next verse tonight. And a lot of people think that this verse is about wisdom, but it's not about wisdom. It's about faith. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, now let's just stop a minute now. We read over that because we know what it says, and our minds are used to hearing it. But try to pretend you're reading that for the first time. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now, here it is. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's one of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible on how to get your prayers answered and how to get your prayers not answered. And, and the equation, the, the nugget of, of wisdom, the takeaway from that is any amount of doubt undermines our faith and we, don't, we shouldn't expect to get anything from God. Now, that sounds, and a lot of preachers don't preach on this because it seems so harsh. It seems so black and white, so cutting edge. You know, people in America, we don't like, I say we, not me, I love, I love the truth, but a lot of Christians in America, they don't like truth that's that black and white. They want some compromise in there. Well, everybody doubts. You hear preachers say that all the time. We all have doubts. Doubt is a choice, just like faith is a choice. You don't have to have doubt. And James right here says, that man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. What a powerful statement. So it's telling us right here, if you want your prayers answered, you cannot doubt. You have to have faith with no doubt. Now, it's easy for me to get up here and teach and preach on that. It may be, honestly, a little bit more difficult to do that in real life, especially when trouble gets in your own kitchen. Uh, had a man one time who served as a board member in my church, been a Christian a long time, intelligent man, ran his own business, but he had trouble come to his house. And I was trying to encourage him, you know, to believe God and to trust God. And really the issue was more forgiveness. And I was trying to teach him, we got to forgive people. And you know this as well as I do. And we talked about it and batted it around. And I could tell he was just resisting because he was so angry at the person who had wronged him, whoever it was. And he was just so angry and so frustrated. And I kept bringing him back to the word. You know, that's how you win people. Not necessarily arguments. You don't, you don't really ever win an argument. But if you're going to prevail in an argument, you do it with the Bible. Your opinion. And see, what people want to do is they want to take it out of the realm of the five words we live by. What does the Bible say? People want to take it out of that realm and bring it down here in the realm of, well, I think, well, I believe. Well, what I think is, well, I feel like there's no winning that. And there's no growth in that. There's no maturity. There's no wisdom in that. Take the issue, the, the conversation, if, if it's an argument, take it out of the realm of opinion and get it up into the realm of the five words. What does the Bible say? That way, if you want to argue against it, you're arguing against God who wrote the word. And you know, if you're in the realm of opinion, you can think anything you want. But if you keep it in the realm of the five words, what does the Bible say? Then you can't really lose the argument. You can just find yourself disagreeing with God, but you can't, you can't win the argument. And so this man finally said, after a few minutes of him hawing and looking at his feet and, and, and frustrating himself, he finally said, prophet, it's different when it comes to your house. And I said, I know. And that's why I've been telling you it's different when it comes to your house for 20-something years at the time. I said, so you've, you've, got to, you've got to understand that this applies to all of us equally. This verse in James, it applies to all of us equally. 
One of my undeniable truths of life is this. I've got a list of undeniable truths. I don't have them all written down yet, but I have them. And I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to publish it. And when I, when I do it, I want you to buy it. But one of my undeniable truths of life is this. Biblical principles are always true, no matter what situation we're in. And that's the truth. When you, you're, when you are your most angry, and that anger is justified, the Word of God still applies to you in that moment that you have to forgive people. Now, forgiveness and restoration are two different things. Because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you need to go camping with them next weekend. Doesn't mean you have to be best buddies. Doesn't mean you ever have to mix with them again. But you do have to forgive them. I'll get into that in, in another issue. But it's important to understand this verse is, is a key to walking in the realm of miracles. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I do have study sheets for you. Thank you, Larry. I forgot about those. Larry's going to pass these study sheets out to you. haven't gotten to the outline yet of what I want to talk about, but we will. So we're going to stop there, and we're going to focus on this faith without doubt. Faith without doubt. And that's, that's what I want you to get tonight. It's not just faith. It's faith and no doubt. Believe and not doubt. Those two things need to go together like Aunt Jemima pancakes and her syrup, like Q and U, like peanut butter and jelly. Faith and no doubt. They need to go together because any doubt pollutes your faith and corrupts it. No, it's not faith. If the, but, but have you ever loved somebody and been mad at them at the same time? Like your kids, when they do something you tell them not to do. Sure we have. So we can have two concurrent things going on in us at the same time. And that's where Christians like to be with this idea of faith. And they've been, listen, Christians have been taught for years that we all doubt. And that's normal. Nobody has pure, unadulterated faith. We all have faith, but we have a little bit of doubt. That's what Christians are taught. Christians are taught we all sin every day. That's what Christians are taught. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say we all sin every day. It says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does the Bible actually, what does the Bible actually say about holiness? It says, be ye perfect, therefore, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It says, be holy, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 26 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who disobeyed God or disobeyed the law of Moses on the evidence of two or three witnesses was punished. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has basically treated as an unholy thing the covenant that sanctified him, and who has uh, waded basically through the blood of Christ and muddied it with his feet? Uh, so Hebrews 10.26 plainly tells us that if we just deliberately keep on sinning, and yet you read all the grace books that are out there, and they'll tell you it really doesn't much matter how you live your life, after you accept Christ, because with grace, we're all going to heaven anyway. I knew an Assemblies of God minister. That's what we are, Assemblies of God. I knew an Assemblies of God minister that got into this thing and finally went so far with it after he was out of the Assemblies of God. He went so far as to say, look, everybody's going to heaven whether you even repent or not because God's grace is so powerful. That's a direct heresy straight across the Word of God. So the bottom line with people's belief is people believe what's comfortable for them to believe. People believe what they want to believe, and that's why our church doesn't have 5,000 or 10,000 people in it. 10,000 people have been through this church since I've been here. 10,000 people. Where are they all? They're in other churches that don't, not, not say in every church, but they're in a lot. I'm going to be careful what I say here. But they're not here. <laughs> and part of it is we, tr we teach the Bible as it literally is, and they're, they're not everything in the Bible is literal. You know, Revelation says, I look, behold, there was a Lamb of God. I don't believe Jesus is in heaven, a furry little sheep with horns and wool, you know. Of course, it's not all literal. And because Jesus wants to gather Jerusalem under his wings doesn't mean he's a bird. We know that. But there are some things that are literal. The problem is this, and I'm getting away from where I want to go, but I'm just going to be honest with you. And you need to know this. The problem is this. American Christians want... They don't want pure New Testament biblical Christianity. That is radical to the average church. If I went to Joel Osteen's church, I'm just going to say this straight up, and for six months I preached the straight truth word of God, two-thirds of his people would leave. I guarantee you they would. It's just the truth. Now, 
the reality of it is, Christians in America today don't really want a pure biblical New Testament truth. They want a fusion of cultural Christianity and some biblical Christianity mixed how they want it mixed so that it's comfortable for their lifestyle. They don't want to take the Bible and just say, there it is, I'm going to apply it to my life. That's too hard. They want something a little softer around the edges. They want customized, shrink-wrapped gospel that fits them comfortably. That's what American Christians want. And that's why we are not impacting our nation the way we should. And that's why I have established Renew America, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that I started. Haven't done anything with it a whole lot yet, but I'm going to. I feel like God has called me to America as sort of a missionary. And uh, the time's going to come when I'm, I'm going to launch out and do something with that. Haven't done it yet, but I will. So let's, uh, these questions are not on your sheet, so just... Let's just discuss for a minute. The floor is open right now. So what, in your opinion, this is just an opinion question. And look, I never embarrass anybody here. I don't, it's not a, it's not, a pl- not a place where we play gotcha or anything like that. Just want to hear from you. Um, so be at peace. We don't, we don't embarrass anybody. And just share. Raise your hand and just share. In your mind, what are some hindrances to the average Christian's faith? Not necessarily yours, but just Christians in general. What, are, what do you think are some big hindrances to people really having miracle work in faith? Michael? Friends, family. Wow. Okay. I mean, you can't convince your spouse that you've got faith and live right. It's going to come out right. If you can't do that part, what good is, what's the rest of it going to be for? And your children. I often tell parents, that the greatest threat to their children is not the devil, it's other people's children. (laughs) I believe that to be true. (laughs) I believe that's true. So peer pressure and the influence of people around us is powerful. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with people of faith. And 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 now look, I I want to season this. You can take this faith thing and you can go so far with it that you can become cult-like. I'm not talking about that. Neither am I talking about this left-wing liberal, well, we all have faith, but we all doubt too. There's a balance in there that's biblically sound, and that's where Christians need to be. The problem with it is it's a little more biblical. That balance is a little bit further to the right than most Christians think it is. It's not cult, but it's, it's probably a little closer to extreme radical nowadays because nowadays just reading the Bible in, in a lot of churches is a radical thing. It's true. It's true. So uh, I see another hand back there, CJ. Okay, that's very good. Your upbringing. I know when, I was, when we were in New Mexico, there were a lot of Catholics out there. It's, it's amazing how many people in New Mexico cannot pronounce the word Catholic. They say C-A-F-L-I-C, Catholic. Catholic, I'm Catholic. What's, well, you got a Catholic on your hair, is that what it is? Anyway, but it, it is amazing how many of them are raised Catholic, and they have a completely different perspective of the church itself, what the church's job is, what the church's function is, what their responsibility to God is. They still have that go through the priest, uh, Mother Mary thing going on in the back of their head. I remember in my church one Sunday, and we had a lot of Catholic converts to true Christianity. And, and I'm going to tell you something. You know, A lot of people want to say that Catholicism is basic Christianity. But I'm going to tell you it's not. Catholicism is the world's largest cult. And that's the truth. Because to pray to anybody other than God is idolatry. And they pray to Mary, and they pray to the saints. That's straight up heresy and idolatry. It just is. I don't care. And people say, you can't say that. There's 2 billion Catholics. I don't care if there's 18 billion Catholics in New York. It's still a cult. And the Pope is not divine. For years, they said, oh, what the Pope says is divine. You go, to, you go to St. Peter's Basilica. Anybody here been there, St. Peter's Basilica? It is one of the most wicked places I've ever been to in my life. When I went into the, to the absolute area where the Popes are buried, oh, my goodness, I, I spoke in tongues and rebuked demons. The place was full of devils. You see these Popes buried in the wall in their faces. It was an evil thing. It was not holy. It was not good. I don't ever want to go back other than to rebuke the place. 
it's a museum, and, and the spirits in there are evil. They're not good. I know, I know the spirit of God, and I know the spirit of evil, and that's the spirit of evil in that place. So you're right, though, short order, without extrapolating it very long, upbringing. You know, are you brought up to believe once saved, always saved? You know, a lot of people are. That's nowhere in the Bible. It's not taught one place in the Bible, once saved, always saved. Nowhere in the Bible. Yet thousands and thousands of, of people in certain religions and certain movements and denominations believe once you're saved and you shook a preacher's hand and you committed your life to Christ, after that, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to heaven. Where in the world do people come up with these ideas? You know what I'm going to tell you straight up? There are some preachers in this world that when they stand before God, hoo-wee, they're going to have a lot to answer for, for perverting the gospel in order to fill up churches. I just, I just would never do it in a million years. Once saved, always saved is not biblical. It's one of the greatest heresies ever perpetrated, and it has deceived so many thousands of people. Well, what else? There's some other hindrances to our faith. David? Right. I think that does a lot of damage. I really do. Right. Yeah, they just don't know what to believe. There's so many preachers preaching so many different things. And, you know, the, the subtle variations that we want to say are no big deal, I'm here to tell you they're big deals. I mean, a lot of people think, well, as long as you're preaching Jesus... Uh-uh, no, 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 no. Either the Holy Spirit is God or He ain't. Now, the Bible says Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You cannot treat the Holy Spirit, the third person in the triune Godhead, like a redheaded stepchild, marginalize Him in your church and use your flesh to create everything that's going on and everything's pop and fizzle and, and emotion, but the Holy Spirit's anointing is not there. And that's, don't tell me that's a minor thing, a minor difference. All the gifts... All the fruit, the entire working of the Holy Spirit and governance of the church, that's a minor differentiation. No, it's not either. It's a huge deal. Uh, once saved, always saved. Is that true or not? I mean, that's a big deal. That's, that's going to send mi potentially millions of people to hell, that one doctrine. So there, you're right. The difference is in what we teach people. Uh, it's just huge. The, the simple idea that no one knows when Jesus is coming back, not even the angels, not even Jesus, only the Father. Even though they're three in one, they're one God, they're not three gods, they're one God, Father has kept that knowledge separate from Son because he wants to. Yet you have people like Edgar G. Wisnant who wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will, not Could and Not Might, will occur in 1988. It was a blatant heresy. I didn't have to buy the book. Nobody had to come and ask me. I didn't have to read it. I didn't have to uh, pray about it. And yet we had a, a, several people in the Assemblies of God. I knew of a pastor's wife who did an entire Sunday school class based on that book, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. I'm sitting there thinking, this is heresy, and it's going on in the Assemblies of God, you know? So the, these are major issues, really, if you, if you look. And of course, the rapture didn't occur, or either all of us are in hell. <laughs> Some of you might think you're in hell, but trust me, you ain't in hell. Okay, so let's, let's go to a different question. We're spending a lot of time on this, but it's okay. What are some miracles God has done for you by faith in your life, personally? CJ? Dave? Gave you David. Wow. Doesn't matter.
Yay. Yeah, he's about a foot above all that. <laughs> you know, uh, my first wife was, uh, she was different than Pastor Donna. Um, <laughs> Donna and I were married. She was, Donna is my first wife. Um, but we're married for three. That's right. My first wife, only wife, forever wife. But I heard a pastor say that one time after he'd been pastor in the church about six months. He said, well, my first wife, and well, everybody was like, but <clears throat> the first three years of our marriage, we were both different people. And then that third year, we ran into trouble, and we uh, decided we were going to let our marriage be based on five words, what does the Bible say? And that's when everything changed. So our marriage hasn't been perfect and flawless and dreamlike like it has been the last 34 years. The first three were tumultuous because we both were basically selfish people and everybody is until they submit their lives to christ you know everybody comes out of the womb screaming mine me my i you know um but we have to learn selflessness and giving so what are some other miracles god has done in some people's lives through faith real quick we've got to make this your husband that's right that's right that's right praise god that's right Praise God for that. Janet? Wait. Both of you are talking at the same time. Hang on a minute. That's okay. It's all right. I pointed. They're both of you are lined up exactly behind my fingers. <laughs> it's like I hit play on two records. Anyway, we'll get her first, then you next, Janet. Go ahead, Emily. Praise God. Amen. Janet? Hmm. That's right. Praise God. That's right. Good. All right, let's get into this tonight. Uh, look at your study sheets if you want to follow along. And we're going to talk about asking in faith. Asking in faith. That's what James... 1, 5, and 6, and 7 is about. It's not about wisdom. It could have been about any subject. He's really teaching us about faith, although wisdom is very important. Point number one, faith is built by the study of God's Word. Now, we can, we can read inspiring stories. You can go to YouTube, and you can look up some motivational videos, and I'll tell you what, they'll have you thinking you can slay dragons, fly without feathers, and, and scale the tallest mountains and walk on water just about. Those motivational videos are so encouraging and so inspiring. Some people think they're hokey, and some of them maybe are. There are, if you look around and you see all the motivational videos aren't necessarily bereft or devoid of curse words. Sometimes people get intense. They use bad language. Motivation Grid probably has, that's a, that's a group of videos on YouTube. They probably have less cursing than most, but you'll still find a few salty words in there. But you can watch all those you want. You can read all of the uh, books by the most famous evangelists and televangelists and preachers and pastors in the world. And that's great. But there's only one thing that God said would build your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. People like stories. And in Bible college, they beat it into your head. If you want to be a great preacher, you've got to be a great storyteller. I understand what they're saying. And storytelling is, aside from people think prostitution is the oldest profession, but it's really not. Storytelling is. The, the first entertainment ever was storytelling. In New Mexico, when we lived out there, they, they have a bunch of different uh, pottery items that they make, some for practical use and some for not. And dolls are a big thing out there. The Kachina dolls, uh, which represent spirits to the Native Americans, and the... Uh, the uh, Cocopelli dolls are a big deal. But they have one doll that they make, and they make this doll out of pottery. And it's usually a sort of a nebulous, it's not a, not a real detailed doll, it's just a suggestion. 
and it's kind of a, a heavyset doll, usually, usually female-looking or seeming, and arms out like this and a bunch of little tiny round objects in her arms, and those represent children, and that's basically the storyteller doll because from ancient times, stories is what people love. You go to movies. Movies are just stories that you see and hear and experience visually. We read books. Books are basically stories. So I understand the value of stories, but the most inspiring stories in the world alone, without the Word of God, will only grow your faith temporarily. The Bible is a different book. The Bible says the Word of God is living and active. It doesn't, nothing, nothing is ever said about any other writing except the Bible that is alive and active. The Bible is the only book about which you can say this book is alive. It is living and active. It, it, it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit. There is a difference between our soul and our spirit, and I'll get into that in a few minutes. Dividing even to the bone and the marrow. So the Bible is alive. It's a different book. And when you read the Bible, not just read your favorite parts, but when you read it and you study it and you ingest it for the purpose of building your faith, it will grow your faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The second point is faith is not rational. It is not emotional. It is not circumstantial. Faith is spiritual. There is a television program uh, on... I haven't watched it. I've just seen the title of it. But there's a television program that has come across my Facebook thread, and I've seen it on Christian television. And the title of the program is Rational Faith. Well, it, that, that nomenclature seems to me to be appealing to an intellectual version of the gospel. What, let me ask you a question. What is rational about climbing out of a boat and attempting to walk on the water? There's nothing rational about that. What is rational about taking five loaves and two fish and attempting to feed 15,000 people? There's nothing rational about that. What's rational about walking up to the tomb of a man who's been dead four days and saying, Lazarus, come forth. There's nothing, I could, you get it, I could go on and on and on. There's nothing rational about the greatest miracles in the Bible. When we try to take miraculous faith and dilute it and force it to fit into a rational mentality or paradigm, we denude it of its power. Faith was never intended to be rational. Miracles are not supposed to make sense. Miracles, by their very nature, are supernatural. You could say super rational, above and beyond the rational. So, faith is not rational. Secondly, it's not emotional. Now, Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is living and active, dividing asunder to soul and spirit. Now, soul and spirit are two different things. Our soul is comprised of our mind, our intellect, our will, our volition, and our feelings. Our spirit is comprised of the deep spiritual part of us that communicates directly with God. It's where His Holy Spirit resides in us, and it's the part of us that will live forever. I think a part of our sanctified soul, our mind, our intellect, our emotions, will also live with the Spirit on. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say that we actually leave all of our self behind when we're translated. It does lead us to believe that we're still the same people. So I, I think part of our personality goes on with the Spirit. And uh, the man who wrote The Spiritual Man, Watchman Nee. Now, if you really want a heavy read, you know, go buy The Spiritual Man by Watchman Nee, N-E-E, -E, and have fun with that. You have to stop about every two or three sentences and say, what did I just read? And go back and reread it and gestate on it and study it out. And I think he wrote the whole book just to, just to mentally and intellectually intimidate people. Um, but it's, it's a deep read. I'm not sure that I agree with everything in it because I'm not sure of everything he even said in it. And uh, I'm, I've got a pretty high-functioning ability, but he, he just gets weird with some stuff. But it's a great book. He, he talks at great length about the dividing line between soul and spirit. And his belief is that where flesh and spirit meet, that's where the soul is. I don't know that I agree with that. I think the soul is more up here between our ears and the spirit may be more in here, not physically, but our heart may be more spirit. Just maybe it's semantics, I don't know. 
But faith is not rational and faith is not emotional. You don't build your faith by ramping up your emotions. You don't build your faith by screaming louder when you pray. You don't build your faith because you feel good. I've seen people come to church because they got a raise that week. Man, they dance and worship like crazy. We ought to dance and worship like crazy because God's worthy, not because we feel better because we got a raise. Faith is not circumstantial. A lot of people will have faith once they realize circumstances are starting to line up in their favor. That's when their faith rises up. Now listen, that's not the way it works. Faith comes first. Victory comes later. Seeds get planted first. Crops come bear fruit later. The faith part comes first. That's exactly why the Bible tells us to bring the first fruit of our income to God's house. Because faith comes first. And when you bring the first 10% of your paycheck and you plop it in the offering, you're saying to God, I'm trusting you to do with the other 90% what I could never do with 100%. And I'm going to trust you so much, I'm putting you first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. It's, it's not by coincidence or chance that that's in the Bible. So faith is not rational. Sometimes it doesn't make sense at all. It's not emotional. We don't, we don't operate in the realm of feelings to, to do. And you know what? It, it can look like circumstantially, and you can feel like emotionally that nothing's ever going to work for you. But your spirit man can rise up in spite of that. And that's what Abraham did in Romans 4. I want to tell you, Romans 4 holds the secret to faith. It, said, it says that even though his body was as good as dead, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was 100 years old, and the Sarah's womb was also dead, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith. He just dealt with reality. Man, I'm 100 years old. My wife's a prune. She's 90. I, 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 don't, I don't have it anymore. She ain't got it no more. We ain't done it in a long time. But you know what? God's able. And his faith rose up, even though his flesh and the circumstances and his emotions might not have been there. His faith was. Now listen, if you can get to that point where your faith dominates your feelings and your faith is bigger than your circumstances, you can start walking in the realm of miracles. But your faith has to be there. And listen, and listen, it has to be faith with no doubt. And that's the kicker. No doubt. Pure faith. Next point. Our soul and spirit should be in unity on faith. We can't walk around with a negative attitude all the time and be walking in faith. The real faith impacts our whole life. This is the part of Christianity that amazes me. You, know, you, talk, you talk to Christians who come to church and they hear about faith, they hear about the miraculous, and when you start talking about faith and miracles and, and really living beyond your circumstances, living beyond your feelings, that's, that's my wheelhouse. I mean, that's, that's something I just love to talk about because I know from experience what it means to do that. I, I was in that terrible head-on collision as a child, and I had two dozen doctors get around my bed and tell me how crippled I was going to be my whole life. And I, I know what it feels like to feel the Spirit of God come and say, do not accept this bad report. And I just refused to believe it. I mean, I couldn't talk because my face was wired together. But in my heart, I, I just put my, I saw myself putting up my, I couldn't move my hand, but I saw myself putting up my hand as a shield against that bad report. And I refused to accept it. And they said I'd never play sports, I'd never lift weights, I'd never walk without a limp. After the wreck, I ran the 100-yard dash, 100-yard dash in under 10 seconds. After the wreck, I bench-pressed 450 pounds. After the wreck, I squatted 675 pounds. After the wreck, I drug nine football players halfway down a field and scored a touchdown. After the wreck, I did all those things. Don't tell me that circumstantial evidence and feeling and even, even facing the facts and doctors telling you you're never going to play any kind of sport, you're never going to walk without a limp. Your face is going to be horribly disfigured. You're not, you, you've got a high IQ, but you're not going to have good long, good short-term memory, and your long-term memory, and all this stuff. They did all kind of tests. I didn't believe any of it. We, and I, I am who I am today because I refused. That, that wreck could have stopped my whole life right there if I'd chosen to believe that. I just, I just refused. I challenge you tonight to refuse. So you can't walk around with a prevailing negative attitude all the time. I'm talking about Murphy's Law and, and be walking by faith. You can't. Either God is God, and He's God over your whole life, and this faith thing permeates our whole life and our attitude and our outlook and our, our purview and our perspective and our paradigm and our mindset. Either it's, it's who we are, the just shall live by faith, or, or, or we're not. And what's the alternative to faith? Doubt. And I'm telling you, 
I have, I'm not telling you I've always batted a thousand on this either. I've gone through tough times in the ministry. I've gone through times when Pastor Don and I sit down and talk and, and we weren't very encouraging to each other. We haven't always gotten this right. But every time we come back to faith and start speaking it over our lives and start feeding our spirit for, from the Word of God and start focusing on the concept and the teachings about faith, and start declaring it and start walking it and start getting away from all the negativity. Every time we start doing that, God starts blessing every single time. And I think it's no coincidence that he's got our church moving in this direction right now. I'm excited about July because in the whole month of July, we're starting a message series, not this Sunday. This coming Sunday is going to be a stand on its own. But starting the second Sunday in July, we're starting breaking out. And uh, it's going to be powerful. Freedom, liberty emancipation from the stuff that holds us back. I'm excited about that. So our soul and spirit needs to be in unity on faith. In other words, our attitude, our soul, our emotions, what we feel, what we think, uh, our, our prevailing attitudes, our motivation, the, the whole way we view life, all that. If we're going to come to church and come to the altar and pray this great prayer of faith and go get in the car, and an hour later we're talking about how, you know, yeah, tomorrow's going to suck. It's going to be Murphy's Law. It's going to be just like every other day. I just hate life, you know. That's not how people of faith live. We've got to understand we can't be one thing in the house of God and something different in our house. We either walk by faith or we walk by sight. We either live the faith life or we don't. And we've got to come to the place where faith and vision and positivity just saturates us because it's in us. And you can't fake what's in you. If you're basically a cynical, bitter, angry, negative person, it's going to come out here sooner or later. And it won't take much. If you're a person who, who goes to alcohol and tobacco and drugs and you do that kind of stuff, and when things get tough, that's where you run to. That's where you always did in the past. If you're not really transformed by the power of God, it won't take much pressure in your life, and you'll be sitting on your front porch chain-smoking cigarettes with, with, a, with a shot of liquor in one hand and a beer in the other because that's what you've always done. That's what you'll go back to. In a fight, in a physical fight, every single time, the boxer, it doesn't matter what. He's gonna, you, for long, you're going to see him like this. He's throwing jabs. The wrestler, you're going to see him down like this. He's trying to get you and throw you down. The jiu-jitsu guy, he's up like this. And, and the kickboxer, he's doing this. You know, he's looking for a kick. Everybody goes back to what they're used to in a fight. What they're, the, the, the street fighter who doesn't know anything, he's going to be sw swinging wild. That's, that's the guy that's going to get hurt. <laughs> this is a street fighter. He throws these wild haymakers. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but everybody goes back to what they're used to. We do that up here, too. We go back to what we're used to. If, we're, if we've been raised negative, we've always been negative, a little bit of pressure in life, a little bit of negativity comes along in the first test, we run right back to it. I knew it. I knew this faith stuff wouldn't work. I knew, I knew it was just talk. I knew it. I, I didn't expect nothing to come of it. Well, well, then, you know, you never had it. We've got to retrain ourselves. The Bible is full of miracles. How many of you believe they actually happened? Raise your hand. Well, if they did, and we serve the same God, and the only connection between those miracles in the Bible and that God is a, is a prayer of faith, we ought to be walking in that same thing because we serve the same God and he's taught us all about faith. All this lacking is the world we live in has saturated us with negativity and churches haven't taught this or they've taught it to the absolute extreme where it's become silly and cult-like. There is a proper biblical balance and a safe, sound, insightful way to perceive, <clears throat> perceive what the word of God has said and handle it correctly and live it out appropriately. Our soul and spirit should be in unity on faith. We can't walk around with a negative prevailing attitude all the time and be walking in faith. Real faith impacts our whole life, and it does. How many of you are going to get up and go to work tomorrow? How many of you expect to get paid? That's faith. You have faith, you're going to get paid for your work. That's why you go. If your boss man came up to you and said, hey, I just want to let you know things are tough right now, you may or may not get paid. We do what we do because of what we believe. You're going to get up and go to work tomorrow because you believe you're going to get paid for your work. The Bible says a workman is worthy of his hire. I, I encourage you to remember that about your pastor, too. 
I want to get paid for Please, oh God, don't put me through last year again. All right. So faith impacts our whole life. It is faith that steers us toward our conduct. It is faith that ought to be impacting our... I, I think your words are just about as important as what you do. They're powerful. Almost every miracle in the Bible didn't take place because somebody did something with their hands. Most of them took place because somebody spoke words. Words are powerful. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. With our words, we're justified. With our words, we're condemned. The Bible says it. Let there be light, and there was light. Lazarus, come forth. Peace be still. Talitha kuma. I could go on and on and on about how powerful words impact life when they're seasoned with faith. All right, next point. Miracle working faith, and this is hard for some people to get right here. Miracle working faith is more than just basic belief or trust. It has about it the element of knowing. Now, this is, this is a tricky point for a lot of people. I remember somebody that was heavily involved with Pastor Donna and me, and that is correct English, heavily involved with me, heavily involved with Pastor Donna, heavily involved with Pastor Donna and me. You wouldn't say, I knew somebody that was heavily involved with I years ago, so you don't say Pastor Donna and I in that situation. You say, heavily involved with Pastor Donna and me. Just my English nerd coming out, right? Bear with me, be patient. This person was in charge of a ministry that reached a lot of people. We were part of that ministry, and I'm not going to go further than that, but they've gone on to be with the Lord, so it really wouldn't matter. I just don't want to malign them to you because I still love them very much, and they did a lot of good work. But in this one area, they were, they were wrong. They believed that faith was simply trusting God, period. No other definition applies. That's really a bit too sophomoric for the mature Christian's understanding of the concept of faith. Just like church, I used to have a pastor, he said, church is a place of human recovery, nothing more, nothing less. That's really not completely accurate. Church is much more than just a place of human recovery. It's a place of preparation. It's a place of training. It is a place of recovery. It's also a place of preparation and training. It's a place of maturation. It's a place of equipping. A lot more is going on at a church than simply just a place of human recovery. And the church would always say amen and clap. You know, and I'd sit there and I'd go, well, that's not really accurate. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm careful about what I say. And I, I want to make sure that I'm accurate in what I tell you. So miracle-working faith is more than just basic believer trust. It has about it the element of knowing. And the scripture that demonstrates that is, is the great faith scripture, Hebrews 11.1. 1. And it says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. Now, that's what the, de- the biblical definition, that is, that is the defining scripture in the concept of faith in the Bible. You ask everybody in, in the Christendom, what verse, what one verse in the Bible gives us the definition of faith? Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is faith? Trusting God. No, it's not that only. It is trusting God. Don't get me wrong. Absolutely, faith is trusting God. Faith is believing God. But if you want miracles going on in your life, Hebrews 11.1 1 faith sounds a little different to me. It sounds like you're sure of what you hope for and you're certain of what you don't yet see. That connotation in that verse has about it the, the seasoning elements of a deep inner knowing that God is going to do what you've asked him to do. Now, every time I broach this subject, I can, I, I, nobody, nobody, every time somebody doesn't say something, but I can just, I can feel it rattling around in the back of your mind. I can hear the whispers in, in the edges of your imagination. Yeah, but what if I think I have that knowing and I pray and believe God and then it doesn't happen? That's what the devil comes and whispers. Well, I'll tell you what, you got two choices. You can land in the safe zone where no assurance, and you don't want to ever be sure of what you hope for or certain of what you don't see. You just want to, you just want to trust God, and whatever he says is fine, and you might have a miracle, you might not. I believe if you walk into the realm of owning that miracle, even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane changed his level of praying. Did you know that? The Bible says that he, he went back and prayed more fervently. You would never imagine Jesus at any point praying less fervently than he could have, but he did. He did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then he went back and prayed more fervently. He ratcheted up his praying. I think sometimes if we would ratchet up our prayer, ratchet up the intensity level of our faith, 
ratchet up the, the study of our word and, and squelch out so much of the world. I used to have a CB radio. How many of y'all ever dabble with CB radios? Yeah, most of us have. There was a little knob on there called squelch. You turn it all the way wide open, it goes... <laughs> background static and all this noise constantly. But you turn it up, and it had a built-in device that would squelch or silence or eliminate that static and would only let voices come through and whatever sensitivity you put it at. I think sometimes we need to increase the squelch in our lives so that we squelch out so much of the world. I'm not saying cancel your TV subscription or, or blow up your house or something. I am saying we spend a lot of time being stimulated by things that don't increase or minister to our faith. And we need to probably squelch out a little bit more of the world and increase the fine-tuning on what God wants if we want miracles in our lives. If we're content to just do it all on our own without the miraculous intervention of God, then by all means, ignore it. Don't read the Bible. Don't have any faith. Just plod on in your flesh and do the best you can. We'll see you in glory. Me, I want God's help. I want some miracles. I need God in my life. He can do a whole lot more than I could ever hope to do. So I'm going to try to operate by faith. So miracle-working faith is not just belief or trust. It has about it the element of knowing. When Elijah was on Mount Carmel and he prayed and the fire fell from heaven, he told his servant, because it had been drought for three and a half years. He told his servant, go see what's happening. He put his head between his knees and he prayed. Told his servant, go see if there's rain coming. Servant went, came back, said there's no rain. Elijah put his head between his knees and prayed again. He told the servant, go see if there's rain. Servant went, came back, there's no rain. Seven times. Now listen, why would Elijah pray and keep praying for seven times if he didn't have some kind of inner knowing that God was going to do this thing? God was going to do this thing. And the seventh time the servant went, he came back and he said, well, let's paraphrase. Well, it ain't much, Eli, just a little cloud about the size of a man's hand. That's all Elijah needed. He said, get down the mountain and get back to town before the rain comes. It'll catch you if you don't. And Elijah girded up his loins and outran Ahab's chariot all the way back. Man. Elijah had about him in that moment a sense of knowing. He also had about him when he restored the altar and he put wood on it. And he dug a trench around the altar, and he poured 13 seas of water on that thing. He knew. And he said, you know, God, hear me so that these people will know there's a God in Israel. Turn their hearts back to you. And he knew that fire was coming. There was a sense of knowing, like when David faced Goliath. There, there was something different about what he said. He didn't say, I just, I, I just trust the Lord. I'm going I'm to beat you. He said, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord. Today I'm going to cut off your head. He just knew, and he did. It's amazing how many people actually got what they spoke in their lives. It's amazing. He knew. Miracle-working faith, according to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is being sure. That's more than just trust and belief. Sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. That is an element of knowing. If you and I want to see miracles in our lives, we have to move past simple belief and simple trust, and we have to get to the place in our faith where we know we know we're sure and we're certain and you can get to that place next faith operates mostly by the spoken word as i've told you earlier almost everything that happens in the bible happens because somebody spoke faith i've made it a habit over the last couple of weeks every day pastor donna tell you this is true i say these things over our lives on a daily basis in our house because i'm the high priest of my home it's my responsibility to set the spiritual tone in my house and I don't go around all day saying this. And we laugh and joke. You know, Julian put that down. We do that too, you know. So. But, Liam, please. Yeah. Please go potty, Julian. Uh, but I've been saying things like this. And not always these exact things. And not always in this order. But, I, but mostly I've been covering these bases. I've been saying we're the head and not the tail. We're above only and not beneath. We're more than conquerors through him who, who saved us, who loved us. 
said, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the children of the Most High God. No weapon formed against us will ever prosper. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Everything we set our hand to do prospers. We're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when we come in and blessed when we go out. And, and we're healthy, strong, young, lean, and attractive. <laughs> all this stuff, you know. Hey, if you're going to speak faith, speak faith, you know. But, uh, but I've been speaking these things over our lives over our health, over our finances, over our ministries, over the future, over everything that we're, that we're wanting to do for the kingdom of God. And I'm believing God's listening. I'll tell you something else, too. You've got to try that for more than two weeks. You've got to operate in that for more than a couple of months. Well, I tried that faith thing for a couple of months, and I'm still in debt. I ain't blind. It didn't work, you know. You don't, you don't plant a, a garden and go out necessarily two weeks later, and I ain't nothing growing. That's just all dead. I ain't believing none of that stuff I planted. It ain't never going to happen. Yeah, I, I, you don't do that. You don't work for the railroad for six months. I ain't retired yet. Y'all lying to me. I'm quitting. You know, you don't do that. I invested $4,000 in that thing, and it ain't made nothing yet. You know, we got to be patient. Persevere. This whole, listen, this whole concept of faith in James and believing in no doubt is, is on the heels of perseverance. we got to learn to persevere in our faith. Nobody ever connects those two things. We, we, we make a couple of days of making faith statements, and God doesn't shift the heavens and dump out pots of gold on us, and we're vexed. We've got to learn to persevere in faith. A little woman that had the issue of blood, 12 years, she persevered. She kept on going. The greatest example of it in the Bible to me is Caleb. Caleb waited 45 years to get what was promised to him. He was 40 when Moses said, those mountains you want over there, they're yours, bro. He was 85 when he finally got them. You talk about holding on, persevering in your faith. That's perseverance. So faith operates mostly by the spoken word. Every miracle in the Bible, uh, little girl, uh, arise. Uh, Stand and walk. Uh, Be healed. Uh, Open your eyes. Don't go tell anyone. Uh, peace be still. You know, I could just go on and on and on and on. Even the creation itself, let there be light. Everything happens because of the spoken word. Life and death are in the power of of the tongue. We need to retrain ourselves to stop speaking negatively about ourselves, about our job, about our family, about our money, and start speaking blessings. Well, there ain't much to speak blessings over, Pastor. You know, it just is what it is. At the end of the month, there ain't no money. We'll keep confessing that, and it will always be that way. What's so hard to get Christians to understand is in Romans 4, the Bible says we serve a God who calls things that are not as though they were. Being sure of what you hope for. What you hope for means you don't see it yet. It's not here yet. And certain of what you don't yet see. Faith and fear, both, it was said on the, on the video this past Sunday, both have one thing in common. They demand of us that we expect something that is not here yet. Either way, Mark Twain said, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're probably right. Think about that. So stop confessing poverty. Stop just confessing what is. Anybody can confess what is. Yep, I got an old, beat-up, run-down car. Yep, that's just the way it is. It's just the truth. Yes, the truth. Call things that are not as though they were. I got a beat-up, rusted-out junker of a car. But you know what? God already right now, while I'm sitting here saying this, has something better for me that he's bringing to me even while we talk. Because I'm paying my tithes. Don't, don't bother to talk like this if you're not paying your tithes. I'm paying my tithes. I'm walking in obedience to God, and I'm going to have faith with no doubt. God already is working on my behalf to bring me something better. Don't ever just say, I got a headache. Don't ever just say what is. Say what you hope for. My head is pounding me, but I'm believing God's going to heal me. I'm never going to have another headache again. Give God some seed faith to work with. I've heard people take this to the extreme. Man, don't say I'm starving to death. That's a bad confession. Oh, that's just a saying. I'm talking about getting us, and we're not going to get into legalism and start calling people down on what they fail to say around this church. I'm just encouraging us to begin to think faith. The the terminology police are not going to come to life point, all right? Nobody's going to police each other's phrases. I don't want to start that. But I want us to be thinking faith all the time. And sometimes we get used to, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm just exhausted. I'm just war slap out. And we plop down on the couch and we turn on the TV. There is no faith in that. Think about it. All you did was state what is. God might have been sitting there with his hand 
on a lightning bolt full of energy, and all he was waiting on was for you to say, but God is bringing it. There it is. I feel better. You know, (laughs) know, I'm being silly, but you know, it's true. I'm just exhausted. Plop, click. (sighs) Why not try speaking a little bit of faith over your exhaustedness? And why not try eating a little better too? Faith without works is dead. Eat a little healthier diet. Get some exercise besides just walking to the car and back. Live a little healthier lifestyle. You know, these things will help. But instead of just stating what is, oh, man, my old old leg hurts. Every year, I can tell when a storm's coming because my old leg hurts. Why just say that? Why just leave it there? All you've done is state what is. Don't Don't you want that to stop? No, I enjoy my leg hurting. I've enjoyed it for 15 years. I like it. Leave me alone, preacher. Well, then keep it. But if you want to see something different, learn to speak what you want to see. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. What do you hope for? Speak it out of your mouth. I challenge you to start doing this, actually speaking it out of your mouth. You may be sitting there thinking, yeah, my wife's going to think I'm crazy. She's going to look at me out of the side of her head. Let her look. Let her think you're crazy. When miracles start happening, she'll be Worshiping the ground you walk on, not literally, but she'll, she'll thank God you're a man you are. Boy, you've really, you've changed, you know. Faith operates by the spoken word. Learn to speak it. Uh, authentic faith will always impact what we do. We've covered this. Real faith will impact our lives. If you really believe the Bible, you won't have a struggle tithing. If you really believe the Bible, you won't have a struggle praying. If you really want to walk and rise up and grow, everybody wants to talk about how they want to grow in Christ. Well, that means change. Growth means change. So change what we've been doing and start doing some different things. If you want to see some differences in your life, you have to start doing something different. If you want things to be the same way they always have been, keep doing the same things you've always done. If you want to see something different, then change. change I'm telling you, changing the way you think and changing the way you talk, that alone will, will transform your life. It truly will. Then you start changing what you do. Maybe, maybe I knew one guy, and he didn't, he didn't give just 10%. He decided, you know what? I believe God will honor what I do. He upped his tithe to 20%. He said, I'm going to tithe 20%. And, and, and the, the, the wife said, well, you don't have to do that. So it's not about what I have to do. I'm going to tie 20% in faith that God's going to raise my income another 10% so that I, uh, my tithe, I'm praying, I'm believing my income is going to match my tithe. Instead of me always matching my tithe to my income, why don't I raise my tithe and see if God won't raise my income? Sure enough, God raised his income. His business grew, it's the truth, his business grew so big that over the years, he eventually was tithing 90% of his income to the church and living off 10. God blessed his business so much. That's what he did. So our faith, man, it's transformative. Authentic faith will impact what we do. Now, next, the faith attitude needs to be revisited every day and throughout every day. And this is especially true when you first decide, you know what, I'm going to actually do this. I may feel silly saying this kind of positive stuff. I've never been that type of person. It's not really like me. I've always been a realist. I've heard people say that. I've always been a realist. And almost every one of those people is also a prepper because they believe the apocalypse may come at any moment. Now, we can see prepping, putting up ammo, dried foods, learning survival skills. I'm a bushcrafter outdoors, and I'm a survival expert. I teach it. I know how to do it. I hope the apocalypse never comes. I don't necessarily want to go out there and live in the woods. I know how to do it, but it's not fun. A lot more fun to just turn on the hot water and get in that shower. Ha ah, ah. That's easy. Living in the woods is hard. I've done a little bit of it. It's hard. But they don't have any problem expecting the world to have come to an end. So why don't we develop the same attitude about good things and faith and miracles? And why don't we start speaking positively? It's a, it's, for some people, it's a total transformation. And you have to decide you're going to do it, and you have to revisit it. I promise you, I've gotten up in the morning and started speaking positivity and, and believing God for great things and go to Atlanta, and some absolute brain-dead neophyte, intellectual larvae, cognitive nymph, blatant idol-worshiping, pagan heathen idiot will run up to the front. I just, I just want to nuke these people. Run past everybody in the exit lane, way up to the front right there, and try to cut over in front of everybody. 
I just want one time, just one time I want a dragon to swoop down out of the sky, car and all, and just fly off with them. I mean, in, didn't, didn't we like learn in the third grade, don't cut in line? Where were you when your teacher was teaching that, Bo? I love these truck drivers that'll pull out and exit lane and won't let them buy. I just, yeah, God bless it with money and all, but God just pray bless. I just can't. And man, I see two or three of them people like that. I have to watch myself. I'll be so full of anger. I just want to get out of the car and run up there. You know, I just, that just drives me crazy. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate people that cut in line. It just drives me crazy. So right along then, I'll have to revisit. Okay, Roland, you're not being positive right now. You're not thinking positive thoughts. You're praying God's judgment on the guy in the blue Impala. Where'd your faith go? Find your faith again. And I calm myself and I have to refocus myself on speaking faith. And then I feel my blood pressure coming down. And I, I'm kind of exaggerating all this. I'm really a pretty patient guy. I'm kind of having fun with it. But it does, doesn't it irk you if somebody run all the way up the end of the eggs and try to cut in line? I hate that. I don't really want to kill them or hurt them. And, you know, I don't really want to do anything. And I don't want to get out of the car. We're having fun. But, but I, it does aggravate me. So I do have to go back and, and regain my, my happy thought, you know. So throughout the day, and sometimes more than once, Sometimes, many times, you're going to have to revisit this faith walk if you want to do it throughout every day. And I want to close with this, and this is the most important thing you need to understand. This is the answer to the question, Hebrews 11.1, 1, what if I do have a surety and a certainty that what I hope for and what I don't see is going to come and it doesn't happen? This last point will help you. It is not our job to be God, figure Him out, or second-guess Him. It is always our job to have faith, let God be God, and trust him in his decisions. That's simple, succinct, and you need, I would encourage you to keep this piece of paper and refer to that little paragraph many, many times in your future because sometimes things will happen that you didn't confess, you didn't speak, you didn't believe God for. Sometimes life will throw you a loop. Sometimes God will say no. The Bible says that rain falls on the just and the unjust. He ain't talking about the weather. Life happens, man. And sometimes it's not easy and fun and good. Sometimes it hurts. But you know what? We have to trust God in things that don't make any sense. We have to trust God when He decides things that we don't agree with. We have to trust God when He does stuff we might have done differently. There's a reason why He's God and we're not. We've got to trust God. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, I thank You for these beautiful people. I pray that tonight this teaching on faith on what it means to live by faith, to walk by faith, to talk faith, to think faith, to act faith, that this will become part of our DNA. And those of us here who struggle with negativity or a critical spirit or cynicism, I pray that you would begin to let us see that there's a, there's a brighter, more hopeful way to live our lives. We don't just have to look at the, the gravel of life and the rusted out hulks of what has been and focus on the things that aren't and the things that weren't, and the things that harmed us or didn't materialize the way we want, or shattered dreams or broken toys, or whatever it might be. We don't have to focus on the difficulties and negatives of life. We can retrain ourselves to start focusing on things that we haven't seen yet because they're still out in front of us. We can reach out through the eyes and the arms of faith and seize hold to new, wonderful, glorious blessings that have not even materialized in our lives yet. And through faith, we can possess those things. Your word says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. It is only the eyes of faith that we can fix on that which is unseen. Eyes that see into the realm of future invisibilities that have not yet become reality. I pray that you put that in us and let us understand with a grown-up maturity tonight that people in the Bible walked in the realm of miracles because they spoke and they believed and they acted on pure childlike faith. And it happened. You answered. You looked for people to stand in the gap and make up the hedge. You said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? That's what you're really looking for is people who believe you enough to live radically on the edge of their spiritual vision, trusting you 
That when we get out of that boat, you're going to let us walk on water. That when we give our last dollar, you're going to be there to supply the next one. That when we obey you and raise the knife over our greatest treasure, you're going to somehow return it to us seven times over. To trust you in everything in life. To live a radical life of explosive, miracle-working faith. That calls things that are not as though they were. Everybody else in the world is speaking negatively and talking about what is and what ain't and what should be and ought not to be and finding fault and criticizing and mad and upset and Murphy's Law this and negative that. And we sound like crazy people when we go out there and start talking faith. But we're going to be the only ones who are walking in the miraculous. Everybody else can have their negativity and have their life just exactly the way it is today forever. Or they can rise up and see things change. It is only faith that transforms our future for the good. Help us to understand that. And today, this very day, this very moment, help us to start making the transition so that we think faith, we speak faith, and we act on that faith. Let us rise up past trust, past belief, to the level of knowing. Let us call things that are not as though they were and watch them become. Let us face the facts that things aren't like we want them to be. But without weakening in our faith, we believe you, knowing that you have the power to do what you promised. Romans 4, faith like Abraham. Help us to be that. Help us to do that. We thank you and praise you for the word of God that builds our faith and transforms our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said, let's give God praise before we go.